All right. Today's guest on Full Profits Podcast is a world-renowned boxing cut man. He's been in some movies. He's been all around the world. He's worked for some of the most famous boxers of our time, of probably any era. Today's guest is Jacob Stitch Duran. How are you, good sir? Man, I'm loving life, man. You know, everything you explained, you're right. It's uh, For me, it's a dream come true, and it you know blows my mind every day, you know, and, you know, all these wonderful things are happening. So I've been blessed. Awesome. Awesome. How did you get into, into the boxing world? How, how did that start for you? It started off through kickboxing. Actually, I, uh, I joined the military in 1972 and 1974, they stationed me in Thailand. And, uh, uh I studied the Muay Thai system over there for the year I was there and, uh, got back to the States and, you know, I, I lived in Oakland and got into boxing to, kind of improved my hands and then I opened up a school of kickboxing and, you know, I was a trainer and learned to be a cut man and that kind of floated to the top. So I made the move to Las Vegas 26 years ago to do what I do. And UFC came around and it was at that time, it was only boxing and the UFC came around and uh, Dana White brought me in and um, kind of changed my whole life and been growing ever since. So, you so know, you were there for the early stages of, of, of ultimate fighting then. I was like the number 12 guy on the list. I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I knew Dana way before the UFC. I knew the Fertitta brothers, you know, uh, they owned the station casinos and they were friends with Dana. And uh, I used to see Dana in the gym and, you know, uh, I'd be, you know, training fighters and he'd be doing pads for the housewives and executives and making more money than us. Right. And, uh, but yeah, he gave me his cards. I was doing a K one at the Bellagio. I think, um, uh, it was one of Scott Coker's K1 shows and Dana was in the audience and he asked for my card and the next day he called me and says, look, we bought the UFC and uh, at that time, the original UFC only had Leon Tabs at one cup man and, uh, but Dana was, you know, smart enough to realize that MMA is such a new sport that guys didn't know how to wrap hands and they didn't know how to work hand, uh, cuts so he brought me in, so it was Leon Tabs and myself uh, that were the two cut men and, uh, Burt Watson was our coordinator and, uh, we put this program together now that, uh, we're, you know, all these promotions are using house cut men. And so, yeah, so we, you know, the three of us put that program together and, you know, it's been beneficial for everybody since then. So absolutely. we've been blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> question. My first question is from ringside. Do you have three to five fights that you love or remember the most? And in what sport? In boxing. In yeah. boxing. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and, and two recent ones. Uh, of course, you know, Tyson Fury when he fought uh, Deontay Wilder uh, the second um, time. You know, that was uh, that was real high energy. Uh, okay. Even the first one that or the the one because I worked two fights with him. The first okay. one I worked with it was uh, was awesome. You know, just the energy. But uh, Vladimir Klitschko when he fought Anthony Joshua. Okay. Uh, Ninety thousand. Uh, attendees in Wembley Stadium in England and crazy, you know, the, the, yeah, insane. And the thing with uh, what made that a spectacular night is I didn't see Vladimir and Vitaly till the weigh-ins because my daughter Carla had gotten married uh, in the island of Crete uh, Wednesday. So Thursday I flew to London. I got there in the afternoon and the Klitschko's were staying in an apartment. Uh, so I saw them at the weigh-ins, but. Both Vladimir and Vitaly, I've been with them for like 10 years and, you know, they understand, you know, where I'm coming from. So we sit there and we talk about what's going to go on and, 
So finally, with Vladimir, I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, look, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you like you're my son. And I leave because I know, you know, these guys the night before, they can't sleep. They got, you know, all these things are going through their head. So, you know, what made that spectacular was uh, right before Michael Buffer is doing the announcing in front of millions and millions of people, uh, I put the final Vaseline on him and we're about this far apart. And just between him and I, he looks at me and says, you could call me son. And uh, oh, wow. that, that was, was pretty spectacular, man. And, you know, I ran into him months later in Germany and, and I said, you know, Vladimir, I, I have to ask you about that moment because it was quite dynamic under the circumstances. And he says, <clears throat> says, Stitch, there's very few people that I trust for my life. You are one of them. And I said, well, my man, you know, so uh, yeah, that one and Oh, God, I mean, it's just so many that, you know, you just kind of jump up and say, dang, what a fight. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of good ones. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because I, I I wanted to ask you that because I was <clears> like, <throat> he's seen so many fights from ringside as a, as a cut man. But, you know, watching boxing, like, who would be his top three to five that he said, you know, this yeah. one I'll always <clears throat> remember based on, you know, what, what may have happened. Um, yeah. So, so do you have to be in the camp? With the fighters no. before? No, okay, all right. No, I got the best job in the world, bro. Just you show know. up. Just show up. The <laughs> yeah, just, fight. I just show up. Well, <clears throat> usually, uh, let's say the fights are in the states, right? I'll I'll get there. Uh, like I just did a show in upstate New York. I got there Thursday. Uh, go to the weigh-ins uh, Friday. Do the fight Saturday, and then I'm home Sunday. Uh, you know, if I go overseas, it's you know I'll leave maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday just to get an extra day or two. But uh, no, that's uh you know, pretty much like the Marines come in, do my work. And uh, Amir Khan contacted me today, a couple hours ago, I guess. He's fighting Cal Brooks, big, big rivalry fight in the UK. And he wanted me to uh, work the, the his fight, but I can't do it. Uh, I'm filming Creed 3 starting next week. Uh, and once I'm locked in, I'm going to be locked in until. So he's fighting on the 9th. My last is like the, the 18th. He's fighting on the 19th. Okay. So I can't, I can't go. Uh, okay. But uh yeah, it's a lot of good moments with these guys. Even Amir Khan, you know, what times I worked with him, he just they're good people. But I was at Salas's gym today. I always go visit the gyms, and I'm talking to Ugas, and I worked with Ugas in his last fight when he beat Manny Pacquiao. And you know, after the fight, I hadn't seen him since. So I saw him, and he comes and gives me a hug, and he asked me what I thought about his fight, and you know, I told him I was so proud of him because of his background. You know, he he came over here with big dreams and. Uh, lost some early fights and got depressed and you know they're telling me the story they came to Vegas and guys put him up and he just down and out and you know he had a victorious you know he's doing great so I told him I was so proud proud of him because you know during this rebellion in Cuba he's supporting the people and and I told him like me you know being a Mexican farm worker I'm supporting the farm workers so we both come you know fight for the same issues but yeah I was so proud of him you know uh, yeah. a lot of props to him he deserves it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. he's long and wiry. That was the only thing I said I, I could see giving Manny a, a problem. And originally yeah. I was like, man, Manny might, because Manny was ready for, for, for uh, Spence. I'm like, man, Manny might go in there and go off on this guy, man. But yeah. my buddy was telling me, he was like, man, he's like, don't count Ugas out, man. That guy's yeah. long and wiry and he's there to fight. Like if you fight him, he's going to fight back. He's not going to bitch out. Yeah, no, you're right, man. You know, you know, when he fought Sean Porter, 
And unfortunately, I couldn't work that fight. He asked me to work, and I, I couldn't work it, but he gave Sean a hell of a fight. Yeah, know? and Sean and, didn't uh, fight him like he normally does either. No, he, you know, Ugas does that, and you 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 said it best is uh, he'll go and he'll fight you. You know, just like Saturday, I worked with Joe Smith. You know, Joe just is he's a tough blue collar worker, and he'll fight you. You yeah. know, so be prepared for combat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's my other question. Of course, of course I got plenty of questions. Um, I got answers, man. Yeah, you, you better have them, Stitch. You better have them. All right. Yep. So I ask everybody when I do these episodes about boxing, when I have the time, can you name your top five Mexican fighters of all time? Uh, well, Mexicans, well, I'll tell you what, the, the first world title fight that I worked was Tony the Tiger Lopez. I worked with him from Sacramento. Okay. He fought Julio Cesar Chavez in Monterey, Mexico. It's my first world title fight. So, of course, you know, Chavez, uh, you know, falls up there on top. But, but I, and you say Mexican fighters, but I got to include my man, Roberto Duran. You know, I'm a Duran, he's a Duran, right? But, uh, and he is part Mexican. He has some Mexican blood in him, right? Uh, Finito Lopez, we were just talking about him today because I was at the Mayweather gym and, and, um, uh, I, I saw this kid sparring and I've seen him before. And I was telling one of the managers that he always reminds me of Finito Lopez. Yeah. Right? Finito course, won like 51 fights. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got Barrera and Morales. How can you not like those? But Yori Boy Campos going back. All right. Oh, wow. I, uh, wow. I, 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 I took a fight with Will Hernandez from Sacramento because uh, he was going to fight Yori Boy Campos in Tijuana, Mexico. And I wanted to go just to see Yori Boy. I used to love the way he fought. Great body puncher. And, you know, he, these guys, his mascots would come out with the, uh, the deer head. And, the, you know, they were they're, uh, Native Americans. Uh, they, they, they were Indians. So they'd come out with the, you know, dancing and all that. And I was just so impressed with them. And, uh, and after that, I worked his fights. So, you know, I got to throw Yoy Boy Compass in there. Okay. I of course, of course, well, you know, uh, Diego Corrales. And we talked about him today because uh, when I had my school of kickboxing in Fairfield, California, Dago lived in Sacramento. I knew him since, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Okay. He would okay. come to my gym and, and spar, spar with my pro kickboxers and he beat the shit out of him, you know? Wow. So, and then I got to work with Diego in his last fight when he fought Luis, uh, Jose Luis Castillo. Ooh. You know, on the, on the first fight, James Prince, he would, Dan Goosen worked cut man and trainer. And it's tough to do that in those type of fights. And Dago's a little swollen and all that. So uh, James Prince brought me in for the second one. And uh, so, yeah, it was nice to work with Diego. Uh, I, Eric Morales is one, is one of my top uh, top five, too. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, uh, I love Eric Morales. The My coming out party, talking about Mexican fighters, uh, Raul Marquez, when uh, <clears throat> he fought Keith Mullins, Raul was the IBF, I think, super middleweight champ. And that fight, he ended up with five big cuts here here and then one in the nose and mm. uh, and something like 70 stitches bro i mean my swabs went all the way in and uh but i kept him in the fight and that was my coming out fight in las vegas you know when i moved here i've been here 26 years and uh that, that was when guys like chuck bodak came up to me and hey good job and good job and so that was my coming out party with raul marcus you know so yeah yeah so i've had i've had some experiences raul fought your boy campus didn't he yeah and, and he'll tell you his Worst mistake is that he fought him too soon and he didn't let these cuts heal. You're absolutely uh, right. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. And he okay. got cut. He got cut up, you yeah. know. And uh, but Raul had that type of. Uh, I think he fought uh, Anthony Stevens when he won 
one of the fights, and that was the first time I worked with him, and 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 he got cut, you know, a couple of times. But you know, working in the MMA industry and in kickboxing years before, when I moved to Vegas, I I, I didn't go there to be a trainer because I thought all the great trainers in the world were there. I just went to be a cut man, and uh, but I saw what all these guys were doing in the gym, and I said I could do that, and I could do that, and I started training fighters, you know. But I had an eight to five job, so I couldn't give them a hundred percent, but they would hire me just to come and do pads for them, you know? So Johnny Tapia worked with him, you know, so that was a blessing. That was another good fighter, man. I, I love Johnny Tapia. Yeah. Love Johnny Tapia. He so much fire in him when he, when he fought and he gave you a good show, good boxer, really good boxer. Yeah. I, I always say, um, I learned so much on natural skills from Johnny Tapia working with him. And when it came to setting up punches in advance, I learned so much from uh, Mike, Mike McCallum, the body snatcher. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the best times I ever had was working with Mike. Yeah. So in your opinion, do you think fighters ran from Mike? Because he did come out of that. Yeah. 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 That era with, with Sugar Ray Robbins. I mean, Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler. Tommy Hearns. You yeah. know, they all, you know, uh, he was a high risk, low benefit yeah. Uh, fight. Yeah. And, and Mike was. He could go to the body. I just saw him today at the gym, you know. So uh, it's not always nice to see. I, I like I like Mike from what from what I was watching when I was younger. But he kept saying, that and I was like, well, why does he kept why does he keep saying that? And then my uncles and them told me he's like, usually when the guy's saying that, it's probably because fighters are going the other way. And like yeah. you said, it's high risk, low reward when when yeah. when you when you fighting a guy like that because it's a chance you can be beat. It's, it's a high probability. Yeah, you know? yeah, guy <laughs> like remember. that get to pouncing on your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He smoked Donald Curry. Remember that? Ooh. You know, Donald looked like he smoked a pound of weed, man. His eyes were all glassy. You know? man. So, but that's a legend, Mike McKellum. Yeah, he was getting scraped up. And I like the way Mike McKellum tries to give Devin Haney good boxing tips and everything, too. You know, he, he's really hands on with Devin. He, he's trying to make sure that Devin is, is set and grounded and doing everything possible to, to get everything out the boxing game. And that's another up and coming young kid. You know, I've worked, I think, last two fights with him, and uh, I get to see a style and excellent kid. Great, great fighter. Stitch, he, he's an awesome boxer, man. I don't know yeah. what they're going to do about that kid. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. He's a very good boxer. Like, I, I don't see I, whoever it is that goes against it, they're going to have to go in there and just get him. You're not gonna you're not gonna be able to outbox that kid. Yeah, you know it, it's funny. Like I said, I, I got a lot of behind the scenes stuff, right? And, and he tells me when I'm taking the gloves off, is they said I couldn't take a shot. <laughs> you know, and uh, he could well, take. We shots. seen that. We seen that yeah, in the last yeah, couple yeah, fights. Exactly. Yeah, we seen it in the yeah, last couple so. fights. And I don't. So okay, Stitch, talk to me about this because when he fought Linares, they made a big fuss out of him getting tagged once during the course of the whole fight, and that's all everybody had. And it's like yeah. for 10 rounds, he he went in there and whipped this guy's ass. Yeah. And that's all y'all got to talk about is him getting wobbled for one round. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's commentated for you, but uh, same thing with Andre Ward, you know. And uh, when he took a shot from Kovalov, same thing. He said, hey, now I know I could take a shot. That was the first fight. Yeah, that was going the first into, fight. Going into the second fight, his whole mind game was different because now he knows he could take his shot. Absolutely. And, and uh, so, you know, these are the things that I get to hear and see working with these guys. 
Yeah, and I, and for Devin, and then he goes and fight Jojo Diaz, and he didn't run from Jojo. Everybody said, "Oh, he'll run and he'll be on his back foot." Yeah. He wasn't back paddling. The kid was yeah. right there in front of him. Yeah, that's what that's when he says, you know. Now I know I could take a shot. Yeah, now they know. So yeah. you know, he answered a lot of questions right there, and that was a a big stumbling uh, thing that he had to cross to just to kind of be better than he is now. Yeah, I think I think I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna go on to be one of the best boxers ever. Um, yeah. I, I, it's gonna be very hard for me to for me to see somebody beating him now. I, I think Tank Davis can give him a hell of a fight, but we have to wait and see how that all plays out somewhere down the line. Yeah, that's your typical power versus technique. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, you're looking at Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler type of thing. You know, so uh, yeah, you know, that's what makes boxing interesting. Speaking of those two, were you around when were you in either of those corners when they were fighting? No, no. But you know, Roberto Duran, I remember, I think, uh, uh, can't remember who was fighting. Kasuzu was fighting, uh, I can't remember, at the Mandalay Bay. And I'm walking into the arena with some friends, and Roberto Duran comes out of the restroom and he comes straight up to me. And in Spanish, he's telling me, hey, man, I'm so proud of what you're doing. You know, you're making the raza, you're making the race, you know, proud of and all that. And my friends are looking, you know, shake hands, hug and all that. And we're taking off. And my friends are saying, Roberto Duran, <laughs> Roberto Duran. <laughs> yeah. Blew me away, you know. And uh, so that was kind of that was a nice compliment. OK, uh, here's my next question to you. Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford. Who you got? We're talking about it today uh, at the at the gym. Uh, you know, I, I I think Terrence Crawford is real good. Uh, I would put my money on Terrence Crawford. Really, Stitch? Yeah, yeah. I I always said when Stacey McKinley introduced me to Earl Spence years ago, he said, "Man, this guy's gonna be a world champion, right?" And you know, okay, I hear that all the time. Uh, but as I look at the long term techniques and all that. Uh, who's battle-worn, who's matured through the process and all that. Uh, uh, what I've seen with uh, Terrence Crawford is... He's solid. He's solid. solid. But, you know, we're talking about it today with him. His his problem outside of skill-wise is on the marketing aspect, he's horrible. Very horrible. bad. Horrible. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, just he's just not a recognizable face. And if he's happy making the money that he's fighting with, is you know but the fun part is dealing with the public and and being a fan and let the fans come up to you and answer questions like this and you know that's the fun part of of, of what we do yeah and, so, he should, uh, and he should be allowing himself to be a little bit more accessible that way people have a better understanding of who he is yeah you know, yeah i also think there will be a market in the midwest for him if he did fights in chicago where i'm from you know what i mean uh yeah. i don't think no one uh, explored those avenues for him. So he was just, he's just a really good fighter or a really great fighter, but the world would never know. The boxing community would know and those who, who are around it, but the world would never completely know until the maximum effort is given and to making sure that this kid, you know, gets the right fights. And maybe it's because certain guys don't want to fight him. You know, maybe, maybe Danny Garcia didn't want to fight him or Keith Thurman or any of those guys didn't want to fight him. I, I wouldn't know, but, um, uh, I, th I think, you know, I was telling someone about that. I was like, man, you got to consider that Terrence Crawford is dedicated to boxing. He doesn't blow up in weight. 
He doesn't, he he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke, you know, all those, all those issues that certain fighters have, he he stays far away from it. He's always in a gym. You know, only thing he worries about is the gym and his personal life, which is his family and his kids. Yeah. And that's it. And he he spends it real quiet, you know? So if he's happy with that lifestyle, you know, that's his heart skill wise. Yeah. And I don't bet, but I, I like him more than I like Earl Spence. If you, you would say, wow, who, who, would, who would you prefer? You Against know? the bigger, stronger Errol Spence. You know, Roger Roger Mayweather years ago, man, bless his heart, he used to say, wait, don't make a difference. He goes, in our days, we fought it. You know, there was only so many divisions, right? So yeah. the weight disparity was different. You know, that makes no difference. It's all based on skills. You know, you know, you don't know shit about boxing, Roger. We always say, yeah. So, but yeah. but you know, when when you break it down into the science like that, it makes so much sense. The skill dominate over size. Hell and, no, because Pernell Whitaker was a bad motherfucker. And it didn't matter. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Camacho. You know, yeah, they were just their 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 style of fighting are tough to beat. All right. So is there a certain technique that you have? And if there is, I want you to give away to any secrets. But when you're trying to stem the flow of blood or you're trying to keep a guy from puffing up, is there a certain is there a certain technique to it? Yeah, of course, there's a technique to everything that everything that we do is based on a technique. Everything that I do is is based on a proven technique. The, the, The highest probable way of accomplishing what I want to accomplish is that's either. Uh, controlling the bleeding, stopping the bleeding, of course, number one, controlling it to where it doesn't become a factor because not every cut you're going to be able to control uh, or stop bleeding 100%. But if you control it from not getting in the eyes and all that, those are the things. And then uh, the, the swelling, you know, so those are all the things that you got to look at and, and, and you prioritize like this quick, uh, which takes priority. And, uh, but yeah, it's interesting, you know, just to work, so many different cuts and so many different, uh, like Joe Smith, you know, gets a cut here. Another guy I worked with got a cut here. I do bare knuckle fights and they get cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, like this. It's just yeah. bone hitting flesh, man. That's it's bone all it hitting is. flesh. That's all it is. Yeah, nothing you know, so, to protect that. But, but you know, as, and I'll tell you a story is when uh, I lived in the Bay Area, right? And uh, I never forget, Bone Crusher Smith was fighting Marvis Frazier, Richmond, California. So, at that time, I had my school of kickboxing, and I was learning to be uh, a cutman. I was making the transition, still a trainer, but learning additional skills and wrapping hands and working cuts and all that. And this guy did a good job in one of the earlier fights on cuts. And I went up to him. I said, hey, excuse me, you know, I'm trying to learn to be a cutman. Can you tell me what you did? And he says, fuck you. I'm taking this <laughs> to my grave, and you got to learn like me. And he walked away. Wow. And, you know, I, I've done – I've mentioned this scenario – hundreds of times, but not once I've ever thrown his name out. But I will tell you that when we went back to Oakland, uh, when Andre Ward fought, I think, uh, Madison, uh, Edison uh, Miranda, okay, uh, he forgot about it, but I've always used that as a motivation and not to ever be like him. See, that was the old mentality in boxing where they thought if, you, if I gave you my secrets, then you would use it against me, you know? And there's no secrets. It's like you mentioned earlier, it's technique. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, like Tyson it, Fury. And it's all about getting better with the technique that you get. Yeah, like if, uh-huh. if, if, if you give it to me and I know how to make it better, then that's that's going to make it better for the next person and the next generation. 100%. But, and, and, you know, the, the what I tell people is, you know, the, the reason, if any legacy I leave behind is that I made this a safer sport. You know, that's the martial arts in me. 
is to make this better. But I answer questions all the time, man. You know, I because the way I look at it is you're asking me questions because you want to improve yourself. But that's it's good for the fighter you're working with, because it's not fair to have somebody that knows nothing taking care of a fighter that's in a deadly game. You know, and and I'll mention this, that combat sports, kickboxing, MMA, boxing, uh, all of them, uh, bare knuckle fights. Uh, none of us have to be certified to be considered professional. Just pick up a towel, get a license, and, you know, you're working on a fighter. So to me, I see so many, so many bad techniques that guys are using on fighters. And, and it just, you know, it's the blind leading the blind sometimes. But Yikes. if you notice, if you notice, there's two groups. There's a group of cut, cut men that want to get identified. So they'll put a swab in their mouth. They'll put one in their ear. They have no gloves. You know, these are the guys that they're looking for the fame more than helping the fighters. Now you got the group of guys that are following my techniques that wear gloves. They wear the wrist wrap that I have here where you put the swabs instead of putting them in your mouth, right? And you put the Vaseline here and you work like an art, like a, like an artist. Yes. And, and, and the technique that you use, you know, with a small wet towel and some guys use big old towels. It's way, way too much. They put it over the fighter's face and guy can't breathe. And so those are the little simple techniques that, that really I've used through, through time after time, after time, after time. And they're the most successful in, in, in doing what we have to do. Like today, Ugas, when I saw Ugas, he's there with his girlfriend and, and he's telling his, his girlfriend, wife to, to, to be how I'm the one that worked on his cuts and how he, how comfortable he felt, you know, knowing that I was there taking care of him. Mm-hmm. So good question. And, 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 that, and that's what you want, right? You want to make sure that you got a guy in your corner that I don't have to worry about him. If I get cut, he's going to make sure he does the best job for me. Yeah. Amir Khan calls me, you know, to fly to the UK today. Right. But Andre Ward, when he fought, I can't remember we fought, he got a cut. And he said, oh, I know I got cut. I know I got cut, but I got stitch in my corner. He'll tell you that. He did that in an interview. You know, and I, you know, things like that. But like I told Ugas' girlfriend, I said, you know, these guys, these fighters, are, they're modern-day gladiators. No doubt about it. Badass dudes. Modern-day gladiators. But deep inside, they're all babies. And my job is to take care of the baby. You got to take and, care of the baby. Yeah, yeah. You got to take and, and Ugas gets, you know, I know psychology is, it's, it's another strong part of, of what I do uh, because it's a lot of truth to it, but I, I know how to get into your heart because I've been there. I've yeah. felt the aches and pains and all that, that, that I've gotten the, you know, cracked in the head. I know what it feels like during those moments. So what I'll try to do is cushion those moments as much as possible. Stitch, do you do any working out still with kickboxing or boxing at all? No, you know, I, uh, I'd love to, uh, Starting to maybe break a little bit more sweat now. I uh, I was at the gym the other day. Shit, I'm 70 years old, bro. But I uh, somebody was playing around. I said, "Now nah, let me show you a kick. So I took my shoes off and, you know, threw like three slow ones, just kind of warm up the hips and then bam, bam, bam. So kicks I still have, you know. And uh, But no, nah, yeah, I should. You know, as the weather's getting better and, and all that, uh, I get a little bit of workout out. All right. My next question to you, because you mentioned Joe Smith. All right. And I want your opinion. If Canelo decided to fight him, does he have a good chance in that fight? Man, that's a good question. And you know what? Except that I work with with uh, Joe aside, me as a fan, that's a fan I like. That's a fight I like to see. 
uh, because hey, it's anybody's game. You know, with that, Joe Smith hits hard enough and he's so ballsy that he'll go. He's not going to go out there and, and box you. He's going to go out there and fight you. And, and whoever lands the first Chris shot has the probability of winning the fight. Joe's a strong, strong fighter. And, and the thing about it, he, Canelo has technique. Joe ain't got no technique. He'll just no. bomb you. <laughs> He'll just bomb you. But what I like about him is he goes to the body. Okay. Right? And, okay. Uh, so that's an interesting fight. But I think that's, that's a fight that for Canelo at this point makes a whole lot of sense. You I would know, rather um, see him fight better be if he's going to do yeah, it. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, that's that's another, you know, the Russians are taking over. I'd like to see him fight better be too, yeah. you know, but but I think on a, on a strategy for an American fight, uh, Joe Smith wouldn't be bad. No, it wouldn't. It would be a good seller. All right. So in that same weight division is a guy that I think can whoop all these guys' ass. Uh, Gilberto Zorro Ramirez. I think he can beat everybody. Do you think? Oh, that, yes, yes. You, you long, think that? Yeah. Long, lanky, type of Salvador Sanchez, type of style, type of fighting, and yeah, tough kid, you know. But once again, it's he has to be recognized, you know, as but I agree, I think this kid is tough, yeah, you know. And and uh, I think he know. will walk Canelo down. Interesting, yeah. Interesting. You don't think so? I think well, I, I don't think... know, it, it hasn't been brought up to my attention, but I look at it, I look at his style with Canelo style. Thing I like about Canelo is everything that he does, he does right, technique wise. Uh, uh, Andre Ward, everything that he did, he did right. Wasn't the prettiest thing, wasn't the most attractive that's going to make you go, ah. But uh, on the fight scale, the things that he does, he does right. And, and it was and fitting contact. to Andre's style. It was his style too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Every time I, I worked all of Andre's fights from day one, except for two, because I already had some commitments with, I think, UFC fights in Brazil, and I had to have my my visa. I already had visa, so it was already committed there so I can do his fights, but I worked every one of his fights. He told me he was an amateur. He said, Stitch, you know, when I turn pro, I want you to be my cup man. And sure enough, but every fight, I always thought he was going to lose. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, you know, I thought he had a chance of losing. You know, when he fought the Super Six, you know, I'm thinking, gee, you know, he's fighting this guy. Okay, damn, he beat him. He's fighting this guy. Carl Frotch, he beat him. Arthur Abraham, they can beat him, you know. You know, when uh, he did that interview and he said, I think you all are sleeping on me and you guys don't understand, like, I can beat all these guys. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, he shit. Did. Yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah. He did. He, he beat did. everybody it's, it's, it's not the, the prettiest fight ever. No. When he fought, uh, uh, what's the guy from uh, Denmark? Kessler. Uh, Kessler. When he fought Kessler, I literally had my medications ready for a cut until the last minute of the last round, mm. I swear. I just knew that there was going to be some damage that Kessler was going to uh, put on Andre Ward, and he didn't. He didn't. Kessler, he looked like a robot against uh, – Kessler looked like <laughs> I mean, a robot fighting him. I was like, oh, he ain't got nothing to worry about. Uh, J- Jimmy Montoya was his coach, and I think he was about as lost as Kessler was. It was something because I was looking like, look, yeah. man, look at Andre in here just yeah. having his way with this guy. Yeah. And it's funny, man. Oh, I was talking about the guy that blew me off, right? Yeah. So uh, I go back to the fights in Oakland, and he forgot about that moment, but I never did, right? Uh, so him and his son now want to take a picture with me as my credibility went up, right? And I put my arms around both of them, and I said, yeah, you know what? He just inspired me not to be like you, you know? And he don't know till this day. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. 
And uh, but he but I know. And what you're doing is staying high above the bullshit of yeah. Stitch. What you're doing yeah, is, and, is continue to move forward and be progressive. And yeah, yeah. Don't don't be one of these idiots. But see, that was the that was the boxing mentality then, and it still is now with a lot of people. I, yeah, know, it, is. it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I see it all the time. You know, and and to me, it just it irks me because they're not that good. You know, <laughs> you know they're not that good, bro. Wow. You know, those are the ones that always try to make the mess and 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 be noticed by doing things. You know, but okay. at the end of the day, got to take care of the fighters. Do you think there should be like a union in boxing for the fighters and like the cut man and everything? Do you think that those guys should have a union or at least for the boxers? Yeah, hundred percent right. Yes, and 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 let me tell you, there's a, <clears throat> there's some people that have contacted me regarding. Uh, well, first of all, Dave Feldman in the bare knuckle fights has started a pension. They're working on putting a pension program together for their fighters. So that's a start, right? But uh, there's a group that contacted me that uh, this one guy is retiring from this big company, uh, a union company that they have all this money that they want to invest into a program that will benefit whatever. And they called me and they asked me about uh, getting something going in boxing. Okay. And so I sent them some videos and uh, we've been talking and we're going to meet up again to see how we could best do it. But I was, uh, and, and over the weekend when I was in New York, we were talking about it. But as I was thinking, uh, the easiest route to take with the most maximum exposure is to team up with the bare knuckle fighting championships, Dave Feldman. And since they're getting a pension plan going, why not offer these fighters, which is a small group of fighters, but from there it expands into a major, if it works for them, it's going to work for everybody. But the, the, the group that want to unionize want to offer the most important benefit for these guys outside of education is health benefits. And, and, you know, whether you call it a union or whether you call it association, at the end of the day, if you have a group where you as a fighter could go to, to learn the truth about what's going on in, in your career. And, and yeah, hundred percent. See, I grew up as a farmer in the central Valley of, of, of California, San Joaquin Valley, which is the agricultural capital of the world. So uh, I, I was born and raised literally in the migrant camp. My okay. birth certificate is, is the address is CPC number 12, California wow. Packing Company. So my parents were in the, they were also in the, in the movement with Cesar Chavez uh, to get better working conditions for farm workers. Brother would be working one field and they'd be spraying uh, the field next to us with DDT and that shit would float over as you could smell it. And, you know, you're, you're, you're working in the peaches and, nectarines and you're picking the fruit and you're in the ladder and you see the leaves have these little droplets already dried you know from from the sprays of the pesticides and so so my parents were in that and uh and it's funny because when i was with the ufc when they took away the sponsors for all the fighters and they got the cut men together and because uh, fighters were making like 50 100,000 a fight they were making money i was making more money on sponsors than i was what the UFC was paying us. And when they went with the Reebok deal, they took all the sponsors away. And so I tried to negotiate for the cut man and there was no increase of pay or anything like that. And so they called me and they wanted to know if I'd be interested in 
doing an interview on how the Reebok deal affected the Cutman. And at that point, everybody's hating Dana and the UFC and Reebok. And so I, I go back to the days of, of being a farm worker and my parents fighting for the rights of farm workers. And, and I thought, you know, if, if I don't speak up, I, I wouldn't be the man that my parents brought me up to be, right? Absolutely. So, so the interview, uh, it's at bloodyelbow.com. Uh, John Nash never met the guy. Uh, he asked me questions. I answered them honestly, but the shit went viral <laughs> all over the world, you know, and, and with that, they let me go, but that went viral all over the world. And I became the face of the rebellion on, on well, the starting of that. And, and <clears throat> I remember when I did the first creed, I go to the premiere and after the premiere, we have a party and Wesley Snipe comes up to me and shakes my hand. He says, Hey, the UFC did you wrong. You know, and, and now it's been seven years and I still get compliments. People in, in New York over the weekend. But the best one I ever got was one of the Brazilian coaches, top coach in, in MMA. Okay. And when we're doing a show, he comes up to me and he says, Steve, we, the coaches, the fighters, we thank you for speaking up because we couldn't. And mm. brother, of everything that was said, all the compliments I've had throughout the world and support, that one touched me more than anything else just gave me chills right now wow says, you know we thank you because we the coaches and the fighters you know we could speak up why don't more in both in all combat sports why don't more people just say hey we need to have health care we need to have pensions because some of these guys are gonna of course age out like you can't you can't <laughs> fight forever like there should right. be there should be something to take care of these guys, or at least just the the, the health care. We've seen boxers die, man. Yeah, you know, I, I did a – yeah, you're right. And I've, I've seen them. I've known them. And, and, uh, but I did an interview or a, uh, a, I filmed a documentary years ago, like 20-something years ago. I just saw it the other day because I gave it to the guys with the union. And uh, it's called Boxer's Nightmare, and it deals with all the stuff that fighters go through. But, you know, talking about a union was one of them. And like Mike Tyson said, you know, he said, you know, you, you get a clergy, you get somebody to look over your contracts and look at me. I got ripped off over a hundred million dollars. And what do you tell your family? You know, what do you tell your friends? Because that's what makes a fighter punch drunk. But these guys don't know, you know, they don't know that there's, there's certain stipulations that protect you. The Muhammad Ali reform act, you know, for a while, you know, fighters don't know that in management, uh, the, a manager could go from 1% to 33 and a 3% to contract the fighter, right? And they don't tell these fighters that. They'll sign them up for 33 and a 3%. But I could understand if it's 33 and a 3% if I'm paying your rent, I'm, I'm supplying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of you as you grow because I'm going to make my money on your backside. Correct. So that I can understand. But if all you're doing is making a phone call, why not get an agent or why not, you know, to do it for 10%? Yeah. And, and, but, yeah. they, but they don't know simple things like that, you know, that's uh, so, yeah, that's my goal is also, you know, to be part of that and, you know, help put something together. But, you know, when I was mentioning about that guy that blew me off on, on the other side, a guy that I haven't met, but Randall Cunningham, do you remember Randall Cunningham? Yes. He football a, player, right? Go quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, he lives here in Las Vegas and, and he's a pastor, but is before he was a pastor. But he was a big basketball star, football star here in Las Vegas. But it, it was uh, before I moved to Vegas. I've been here 26 years. Uh, I, I had a boxing show here, and my two, three, three brothers were with me. And after the fights, we went to 
after fight party and we're talking to Randall Cunningham and I'm nobody. I'm still Jacob. I never had the nickname Stitch at that point, but we're talking to him and Murad Muhammad, never forget that. One of Don King's guys comes up to him and says, Hey, Randall, I need to talk to you. He looks at him. He says, hold on. He says, let me finish talking to these guys. Brother, I never felt so important in my life, man. And, and that's the way I, I continue to treat people. I'll, I'll never pass you up, man. You know, and, and at least give you some respect. And I, I haven't met him. I know he's a pastor. He has a church here. But when I run into him, I'm going to let him know that you just reinforced that this is the way we need to treat people. Absolutely. Being being a stand-up person is always better than being a, yeah. a, a guy that I just get rolled over for nothing. Yeah, I, I can't understand these people, bro. You know, I, I don't know why. what makes you tick that way. I, you know, but in, in what we do, if you do it for the money, you do it for the wrong reasons. You got to have a passion for what we do. And that's what I, I tell people. You got to love what you do before, you know, you start thinking about money. If you think about money, you're not in it for the same reasons we are. It's not yeah. a pattern to success. Yeah. And if you're thinking, if you're in it for money, man, you, you, you're going to have, you're going to have to go about it a whole different way because there's a lot of, you got, it's a lot of shit out here you got to deal with in anything. Uh, That's insane. Yeah. Sports, entertainment, anything. You, you, you know, it's a hard road when you start looking at the money, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and even if it's an easy road, it's all the crazy shit that comes with it. You know, you got to stay grounded and you got to yeah. know what it is, what it is you're trying to do ahead of time as well. All right. So the next question is, when is the best time to tell the, the coach how bad the cut is? Is it during the, the break, the one minute break, or is it when you go back down the stairs? Uh, good question. There's 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 certain situations uh, you never want to tell anybody that, you know, I, I've been fortunate. Well, I have I, I've, I've stopped fights because, you know, there's been danger to them and all that. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you kind of look at them, uh, and you evaluate them and, you know, the thing about it, when you finish, that's a good point. Good question. After the fight, you clean them up as much as possible. You put the adrenaline chloride one, 1000 in there to close up the vessels. You try to, you know, plug it up, you clean them up, you send them out. And if he continues to bleed where it's, it's affecting him, uh, giving him a disadvantage. That's when doctors always stop the fight is when a fighter is at a disadvantage. But if he continues getting blood in his eyes and all that, then, you know, might want to save him. And he's getting hit because he can't see. Badu Jack. You remember when Ooh. he got that big old cut right there? Oh, okay. yeah. I, right I, in I, forehead. I, came on board after, I came on board after that fight. Uh, but let me give you two scenarios. The same cut, all right? Different perspectives on how they were handled. The first fight I worked with Vladimir Klitschko, he fought uh, Devera Williamson. And Vladimir had just come back from losing his title to Lehman Brewster. And so he's fighting and he won the first three rounds looking, you know, okay. He's not looking great. He's looking okay. You know, uh, in the fourth round, he gets dropped flash knockdown, but it's still a couple points off of him. Right. In the fifth round, he gets an unintentional headbutt in that same big vein, that vein, when you laugh, that big thick vein that's about as big as a, you know, yeah, well, like a straw. When you, when, when you, yeah, when you pop that vein, you're not going to control it. It's just too big and it flows too much. And and Vladimir had that cut, but I have worked on those cuts before many a times in the UFC. And but I told at that point, I, I knew the score. Well, I told Vladimir and Vitali, and Emmanuel couldn't hear because he was on the other side. But I told Vladimir and Vitali, I said, look. 
you got a back cut, you're winning the fight, I'm going to have the doctor stop the fight because I'm, I'm praying that he's ahead of the scorecards. Then when the doctor comes, she says, well, Stitch, what do you think? Because I've worked with her before in the UFC fights. I go like this. I open it up. and I say, that's pretty bad. And she stopped the fight. And Emmanuel don't know what's going on. I said, Emmanuel, got to got got go to the scorecards. He ended up winning and became world champ again. So that's knowing the rules, right? With Badu Jack, I felt so sorry for him because when he got that same type of cut, he bled like a pig. Oh, yeah, and, he did, man. And, and the cut man didn't know. The team didn't know how to, how to work on it. Uh, it, it, it's continually, that's the type of fight where they should have stopped it like I did with Vladimir Klitschko because it was, it was for the number one contender to fight for a world title. The one that won this will fight, can't remember who was going to fight, but it would have been a world championship fight. So it was a money fight. I, I would have stopped it and says, you know, he can't continue. Uh, whether it goes to the scorecards or not and he loses, okay, it was like in the fifth, sixth round. That was because of a bad cut. So let's get a rematch. So the chances of him getting a rematch would have been a lot higher than him going the distance and just losing heavily on the cards. So there was no there was no uh, uh, reason to argue for a rematch. Okay. See what I'm saying? Okay. You know, so those are the things that, you know, someone that has a lot of experience, those are little angles you got to look at. Uh, Andre Durrell, uh, when he fought Eskerigi, Jose Eskerigi, the second fight. Uskatigi. Yeah, it's got to be, I was talking to uh, Leon, his uncle, uh, Saturday, and I said, you know, how's uh, he's doing? But what had happened there is the type of shots that he was taking were what I consider long-term damage shots, shots that, that they don't slide off. They come in here and come out there. You know, they just mm. go right through you, and they're like solid, solid shots. He's taking those kind of shots. And I'm looking to my right, and the two ringside doctors are talking amongst themselves on, on the, the results. So the bell rings and I get up in the ring and I'm putting ice on Andre. And I said, look, the doctors are thinking of stopping the fight. Did you want to continue? And he, a little slight no, he said like this. I said, done, done, no more, no more. And, and Virgil Hunter at that time, I didn't know how sick he was, but he was real sick. So he wasn't really hands on was going up. Yeah. yeah Cause well, one more round, one more round. And even uh, uh, Anthony's uh, Andre's uh, uncle, our grandfather. So I made the decision to stop the fight. And, you know, the next day he calls me early in the morning, him and his wife and said, you know, Stitch, thank you because I just don't know what was going on. You know, I just didn't have nothing, you know? So, and Leon, his uncle was, uh, was also, you know, he called me then that night and what told Anthony is his brother, Stitch did the right thing. Stay care of these guys, knowing, understanding where, where they're going. Cause it was not going to get no better for him. And, and the chances of him continuing to get these long-term damage type of shots was going to continue. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, and, and those are the, that's the way, you know, you got to look at all those angles. Yeah, and because you, you, you're looking at a guy taking punches, like you said, it wasn't hitting one side. It, you could see the full force going through to the other. So you definitely yeah. want to look at the guy and go, hey, man, I think, I think you had enough. I think you had enough. You, you, you're not looking good out there. And I'm not seeing any progression from you at the same time. That's the whole key, progression. I yeah. don't see you advancing anymore yeah. or doing any better than you're doing right now. Or your but responses are bad to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, just a little, the little no, you know, but enough for me to know that that's what he meant. No, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay. I said, no, you're not. Once you told me, no, you're done, bro. I'm not going to let you go out there. And And, you know, that's, uh, that took a lot of balls for me to do that, but 
in the same token, I'm glad I did. You got to look out for the fighter because, you know, those guys are crazy, man. They already doing something that's crazy anyway. So yeah, they, yeah. They, they'll, they'll, they'll go out on their, their sword or shield, man. They don't care. Yeah, Eddie Mustafa, when I interviewed him for Boxer's Nightmare, he says the ultimate goal of a fighter is to render his opponent unconscious. And that's I look it. at that, and that's, that's the, the, the highest victory for a fighter is a knockout. Yes, sir. And a knockout will create some kind of damage somewhere. Oh, yeah. You know that. Yeah. yeah. You know that. Yeah. My next question to you is, when a, so now they, they, they've been having surgery over the scar tissue now, right? And they've been able to move some of the scar tissue. Is it easier to work on a fighter, or does that, does that hurt it when they get cut again? I, I don't understand. So they're saying now that they, they can remove the scar tissue out of certain off of certain fighters. When they cut again, does it does it change anything? Nah, it means it's a cut's a cut. Okay. You know, and and uh yeah, I, I think but removing the scar tissue and all that, I, that's a good question. Uh, but I don't know if it's gonna minimize you getting cut again. Uh, a lot of it's based on your bone structure. Yeah, you know, when 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 there when there's a certain point of impact. And it's all positioning, you know, are you more likely to get cut if you have protruding uh, bones here or bones yeah, or, here? Or yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Because uh, it's bone so, against skin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but the, the, the point is, the bottom line is is contact. And, you know, the, the thing with the theory with the Vaseline is you break it down. Vaseline is designed for one thing, one thing only. Tell me for what? what what's your opinion? Why, why do we put Vaseline on fighters? To lessen the impact of the punches, even busting them up. But they still get busted up. They still get busted <laughs> up. Yeah, you know, it's for minimizing cuts and all that. So, but I understand. I mean, they at least it's if it slides, it slides a little bit, right? And yeah. uh, so I don't know whether it would be a benefit, you know, not to use it. But some some it. fighters know how to like they know how to cut you, right? Like some guys know how to throw punches and cut. Yeah, they, they know the how to last slice. turn in and yeah, yeah, they know they know how to, they yeah. know how to, they don't have to slice you up, man. Yeah, yeah, just that turning right at the end, bam, you yeah. know. And uh, so yeah, you know, some guys are cutters. I know David Luazo in, in in the UFC was I used to call him my employer because he used elbows and knees and all that, and he'd cut all his opponents, man. That's oh. man, you always you always give me work, bro. You know, I'll call you my employer. So I talked to him the other day. He lives in Montreal. He's a stitch. What's the nickname you tell people? I said, yeah, you're my employer. You know, you give me some work. Stitch, how, how bad have you seen a cut from an elbow, man? Because I've seen guys, when they get busted up in the UFC, man, they be bleeding bad, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen bone bone on bone. There's a, there's a cut. Marvin Eastman, when he fought Vitor Belfort, took a knee. And literally, he has a big old gas right here down to the bone. I have uh. a picture. I'll show it to you, but I'm on my phone here. Uh but I'm working on them and the fight's over because, you know, they got stopped. And I mean, it's 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 this wide, you know, literally like this. Ah. And uh, I think the commentator said it looked like shrimp that you just fillet. Wow. Uh, but I'm, but I, I'm, I'm working on them. And and I know that they're showing it on the screen because you can hear the people saying, "Ooh, ah, you know, and all that. And I'm working on Marvin. And one of the things that I always look for is the response factor. So I'm working on him. I said, Marvin. This is the biggest fucking cut I've ever seen, man. And he got a smile on his face, which let me know that he was okay, you know, because he reacted to my 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 shitty comment. But I brought the reality out of him is 
biggest cut I've ever seen. <laughs> is it is it one of the best things to do is to stay calm as a cut man stitch to make sure that you don't? Yeah, number one priority is keep your composure. Number one. You know, there's been times when, uh, you know, you walk into a corner and, I, you know, I've had guys, oh, man, when I stitch walking in, I know I'm cut, but I know I'm okay. Yeah, of course, you know, uh, uh, psychology is it's a major, major part of what uh, what we do. So how do, so help me out, help me understand, because, you know, some guys, as far as boxing goes, they're inside fighters, right? How do you, if a guy gets cut, what do you, what, is there something that you tell me, are you going to have to box or you got to keep that side of your face out the way? Like, is there a way to tell them to, to make sure they, that coagulant starts to build up and give them a chance? No, no, pretty much. You know, it's, I mean, that's my job not to give them those kind of instructions, right? It's, it's okay. the coach, but, uh, but, but it did happen in, in, in the UFC with Carol Parisian and, and uh, when he fought Drew Fickett, same thing. He took a, got a big old nasty gash right here. And my job as a cut man is not to give instructions, but I've had so much experience that his two coaches, Manny Gambarian and this guy, Neil, were as green as you could get. They knew nothing mm. about working the corners. So Carol comes back and he has that big cut and I'm working on him. And I take it upon myself. I said, look, Carol, stay on the stand up. Don't get down on the ground. If you get down on the ground, time up, get back up. And he did. He won the fight. Oh, and wow. shows later, man, I'm doing a show at the MGM and, and Carol Parisian is sitting there with his father and, and they're Armenian, right? And I go check on him. Hey, how you doing? And his father looks at me and says, uh, I I'd like to invite you to my house for dinner. Thank you for taking care of my son. You know, and uh, so in that aspect, I, you know, I put in my two cents. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's just for the most part, you don't want to be that guy giving all kinds of instructions. Okay. Okay. Because it, it would be too nah, many, but, too know, many they, voices in the corner, right? Yeah, there, there, you, there's a, one of the medications that uh, are authorized, but very few people use it. They used it in the 80s, is Abitin, which is it's like a cotton candy type of thing that you would put on the cut, and it, uh, it coagulates the blood. But the, the issue with that is once you got hit, it would take that off, and it would take the clot with it. So that you know, worked okay. It's okay after the fight, but not during the fight. And, you know, just so... Yeah, so, so adrenaline is best during a fight. Uh, adrenaline closes up the blood vessels. Yeah, I use adrenaline, and then uh, there's a new gauze pad that I use uh, that's called Quick Aid. That's made. Uh, it's 100 natural. It's made out of a seaweed base, and it's a little gauze pad. You just put it on the cut, you know, for 45 seconds, and it dehydrates the blood and it stops it. But you know, I'll, I'll instruct these young cut men. Uh, everybody should have Quick Aid. Number one, yeah, just keep it in the gym because even a moron could be a good cut man. <laughs> all, you got, all you got to do is apply it there, right? Uh, but I encourage everybody to do it. But, uh, you know, and I tell them, you know, if you have a real bad cut, then uh, put that adrenaline in there first for about 10, 15 seconds so it could start closing up the blood vessels and then keep pressure on it with the quick aid to dehydrate any other blood that uh, is still escaping. And okay. uh, so, yeah, but that's, that's how I teach these guys. Stitch, did you ever work uh, Arturo Gotti's corner? God, that would have been a dream. No, no. you know, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, 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 that was a dream job, man. But I remember I worked with Johnny Tapia. You remember Rocky Gannon? I don't remember Rocky Ra Gannon. Rocky Gannon was a white, tough, tough kid. White boy, tough, tough kid. But, man, you punch him here, he would get cut here. Wow. And, uh, and, and Miguel Diaz, the, the, the legendary cut man, 
one time he said, man, you're lucky you get all the bleeders, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, but no, Arturo got it with me. I would, I would have loved to have worked with him. Yeah, man. Someone told me uh, Arturo cuts walking to the ring. I was yeah. like, good God, man. Yeah. 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 He was a, he was a bleeder. That's yeah, for said, sure. Yeah. They said he would, he would just open up the moment you, the moment you slapped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there certain fighters that you prefer to work for, if, if you can say that, or should we move no, on? No, you know that? what? It's uh, At this level where I'm at, they're all good people, man. You know, if you weren't a good guy, hey, listen, I get plenty of work. Huh? I, I, I just tell them, listen, I'm, I'm going to a Mexican wedding. Yeah. But now, you know, I've, I've been blessed. And then, you know, I'm working these, uh, these fights with Top Rank now. We started off in a bubble. And, and uh, during this COVID at the MGM, and I think we did 32 shows there, ESPN fights. And those are the ones I did Saturday. But, uh, you know, they extended bringing us in as, as cut men. So, you know, I, I get to work those and, you know, continue doing what I do. So Awesome. awesome. It, it's awesome, yeah. Stitch, what do you think of David Benavidez? I like him. You know, his dad, uh, I remember because he's trained UFC fighters, and i never forget we're in, in London going to the weigh-ins, and, and and Jose, we're sitting together, and he's telling me about his two sons. He goes, I mean, they're both going to be world champions, and they're both going to be world champions. And you know, been in this game a lot. You know, how many times I've heard that. But uh, you know, I see him in Vegas. He'll come train train in Vegas, and yeah, he's he's another guy, long, tough, long, tall, and and a good puncher. What do you think his chances are against beating uh, Canelo? Same, same as, 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 as Joe Smith, you know, is whoever contacts first, because, you know, they're both going to come at you. Oh, yeah. And, and, and see, you know, see what the contact ratio is going to be for, for either one of them. So it's, it's, it's a given fight, man. It's just, uh, you just because Canelo is Canelo, you know, you know, yeah, you got to look at the logic, you know. And then yeah. you look at time, you know. Uh, yeah, you just look at time. Yeah, I was telling someone about that. I was like, I, I would, I myself would pick David, but because Canelo has the experience and he's put in the time, you know, he has so much in his, he has so much going for him uh, when it comes to that fight. But I, I, Stitchman, I look and I look, I, I watch the the volume of David, and yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't see anyone else doing that that would stand in front of Canelo like that. Like yeah. David, David looks like the type of fighter that was that's willing to go all out. Yeah, and you know his shots are laser shots. Yeah, and, man. You know, and and you look at you know, like say Joe Joe Smith has thumping shots. You know, he'll just thump you to death, right? And Benavides will just kind of cut right through you. Yeah, he just breaks you down, just just busts break you it up. Down. And, and yeah. I like what he said. He said a knockout. I, did you? I don't know if you saw, saw his interview, the fight before last, but he says knockouts are cool, but I would rather you quit. He said, "If you quit, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate high for me. If you quit, I don't want you to get knocked out. I want you to quit." He said, "When you guys quit, it makes me feel good." I guess I I could understand his point. You know, that's that is a better victory than a knockout. Yeah, I, 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 I get. To, yeah, I made you quit. I get. I, I watched you go to your corner and say, "I can't do it no more," or your corner had to stop it. Yeah, that's insane. Hey, you know, it's funny. I asked uh, during this end of this boxer's nightmare that I put together. Uh, I interviewed Mike Tyson a week before he got his tattoos. But I said, you know, Mike, as every fighter has that one little thing that nobody in the world has that makes it a special fighter. What's that one little thing? And very simply, he says, take the pain. You have to take the pain. 
And as I left, I thought about it. He's he's 100% right because you go through pain in training. You go through pain in your fights. You go through pain financially. You go through pain with your family life. Uh, That's the life of a fighter. Not everybody's going to make a living on this. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be hurt. Because you're sacrificing everything you have, which is your body. You're giving it all up. And you're you're torturing your mind to think that, to tell yourself that you can do more than what you're doing. And you're giving it all. You know, and I don't think people understand that, man. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I love watching boxing and combat sports period because it it reminds me of just life in general you know you you always got to fight there's always a lesson to be learned and no matter how how much you take you can always take more and you can always give out more too yeah and and you know what's incredible with everything that you're saying there is the to get inside the heart of these guys as fighters you know you know they're gladiators but to spend that personal one-on-one time with them uh, to be in the heat of battle with them, uh, to understand their highs and lows. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. You have to be there to understand where these guys are coming from. And I'll tell you, man, I've had, I can't even count how many times the guys that give me a kiss and tell me they love me. You know, Tyson Fury in the last fight, something very, very simple meant a lot to him, kind of like Klitschko, you know, you can call me son. I, I said, I didn't see him because I worked with three, three of the earlier fights. So I, I didn't see Tyson Fury till he already has his gloves on. We're in the, he's in the dressing room waiting, you know, for the introduction. And so I sat down with him and, and I said, look, I'm going to keep ice on you every round because I know it's going to be a toe-to-toe fight. I'm not going to wait till you start swelling. I'm going to work on preventing maintenance. I left him with that, right? So as I'm saying goodbye in the dressing room, I said, well, Tyson, he comes, gives me a hug and a kiss, and he says, Thank you for keeping ice on me. Something as simple as that. But it went a long way. You see what I'm saying? But just the respect. Stitch, man, so many people have I got I got super respect for you. So many people got respect for you, man. Yeah. So many people have so much respect for you and what you've done, man. You've been a lifesaver and you inspire people to continue to get out there and fight, my man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, you know what? It's uh I always said when I moved here, (laughs) I've been here 26 years, right? I always told my friends back home, I said, look, I'm going to the top. I'm taking a bus. If you want to get on that bus, let's go, man. I'm going with or without you. You know, so I came over here with dreams. I made some major sacrifices. I, I worked for R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company for 23 years. And to get a job transfer here, I took a secondary position, which cost me about $25,000 a year, uh, a year less. But I came. My wife supported me. My family supported me. You know, they all believed in me. and and uh, I've been blessed to continue doing what I'm doing, man. And, you know, I'm happy. But it's far, far more than what I expected would happen in my career. I mean, listen, I, I've been in seven movies. You know, well, I'm doing Creed 3 next week, right? Starting next week. That'll be my seventh movie and three with Stallone. How I many guys, you know, I've done three movies with Rocky? I have. This would be my <laughs> third movie. <laughs> That's true, man. That's yeah. true. I did Baboa. Yeah. When Rocky fought his last fight, I was a the cut man for Antonio Tarver. I was the light-skinned brother in the corner. And uh, so I did that one and Creed 1 and Creed 2. And now, um, how many guys you know I've done three movies with Michael B. Jordan? I will. You know, so, uh, yeah, so I've been blessed. I've had trading cards, my own top trading cards, and my own signature shirts, and, I mean, sponsors. And, you know, it just, it's been a phenomenal ride, you know. But uh, 
uh, through the marketing that I learned through RJ Reynolds, I also market myself and, uh, you know, with sponsors and, and all that. So I've taken advantage of the situations that have been put in front of me. Awesome. So. Awesome. If you're able to say, is one, is one combat sport safer than the other between boxing and, and MMA? It's tough to say. You know, uh, it's, it's tough to say, but I will say this, is in boxing, which has been a lot longer, I've noticed, you know, the dementia pugilistica, punch drunk syndrome. Yes, right? sir. We know happens in, in, in boxing and because it's been so much longer. Well, when I first started with the UFC, all that was non-existent. But through the years, I mean, it's been 22 years, I think the UFC has been around, the new one. I've seen fighters I've spoken to that I worked with before. I've seen their speech pattern change. And uh, so, you know, when, when you look at, uh, then they were saying that MMA, their injuries are what they call short-term injuries. Busted elbow, you know, busted hand maybe bust the kneecap, you know, or, you know, uh, 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 the full muscles and those type of short-term injuries. Boxing would be the long-term injuries with the punch drunk syndrome. But I see guys in MMA that are, are following in those footsteps. So I don't know, but that's, that's why it's important to take care of these guys. Yeah, super important, man. Super important because, you know, th- th- those concussion protocols that they have in the NFL – I told somebody, I said, man, these guys get concussions every round, man. They get concussions yeah. in sparring. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, like they need to take care of these guys. These guys need to get a, a type of union or association together, man, and be able to funnel yeah. a piece of their paychecks and have the promoters put into these uh, into these uh, funds, too, to make sure that they protect these guys. Because you got guys who are willing to risk their life to sh- prove how bad of a motherfucker they are in the yeah. end they may not get anything out of it. And some of these guys got families. So who's taking care of the family after this is over? There was yeah. no other breadwinner uh, for, for, the, for that family. Right. And we're seeing it happen over and over again. That's, that's why I had asked you that question early and earlier. And, and now me bringing in up that part about the safer sport, because I always felt like MMA was safer to me, because yeah. it's like, to me, in my opinion, if you get knocked out, that's it in MMA. The ref stands over you, he calls it off. There's a chance in boxing you can get back up and continue. And you can continue as long as the ref thinks that you're okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's concussion after concussion after concussion to a guy that may get up five or six times. Yeah. Well, no. in, in boxing, you know, you get dropped three times, you're probably done. You know? And uh, But nonetheless, I know what you're saying. But I, um, the only technique I don't like in MMA that I think needs to be adjusted is when a guy gets dropped and for the most part, he's defenseless and the guy comes down with an elbow on him. Yeah. Uh, that's not needed. I think, you know, the, the fighter out of respect to the other fighter needs to understand because you know, when you knock a guy out and the guy falls in his head, you know, uh, Bisbing when he fought Dan Henderson, Dan Henderson knocked out Bisbing and he comes in with a giant elbow. Boom. Yeah. Boom, when I, right when, he, when, it, when a guy slams into the mat, you know, it's over. Yeah, and then the thing about it, when you get his head on the mat and you come with an elbow, there's nowhere for that head to go. Nope, and so, so now you're talking about maximum impact. So it's like two yeah. or three punches at the same time. But you're talking about stopping fights earlier. Uh, I was going to mention this one story. Uh, bare knuckle fighting, Brittany, uh, what's her name? Brittany Hart. 
was fighting Christine Ferreira from here. Bad, bad, both bad, bad girls. So they go at it right away, and 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 Brittany Hart right on, underneath the eyelash, real thin, like he had a razor and just kind of cut it right under these, was sliced. Mm-hmm. And and in bare knuckle fighting, they have a rule that I like. I think should be implemented in MMA, but because blood is going to happen in, in boxing, I mean in uh, bare knuckle fights. So the referee could call timeout. They could bring them to me. The doctor standing next to me. I have 30 seconds to clean them up and evaluate. The doctor has that time to evaluate evaluate them to see if they could go back out, right? Which I think is a great rule. Well, this girl, Brittany, came and she had that slice right there. And the referee says, you got 30 seconds. I said, I don't need them. I said, I'm not going to let her go out there. Oh, no, no, no. I told her, I said, look, you when you go in the mirror and you, you look at it, you're going to thank me. You know, they stopped wow. the fight. She went in. Looked in the mirror and and go like this is like a third eye just opened up oh. and, and she thanked me yeah so you know those those are the type of situations those rules are designed to protect these type of fighters under these circumstances it's Do not you- that it's not that that blood would have got in her eyes that wasn't the danger it's more of the optical damage what yeah. what, what could occur and then someone punching you in that same spot over and over it's again gonna happen up. yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to take advantage of anything you can when you're in the ring. Yep, 100%. Do you remember that uh, Marquez versus Pacquiao fight when the cut was so bad and it looked like they were just throwing adrenaline into the cut or Vaseline? Do you remember that? Was that the Marquez fight when Marquez got cut? Yeah, Marquez got cut, and it was so bad it looked like they were just throwing it in there. Yeah, you know, it. Uh, Nacho Benesting is a great coach, but great coaches – don't make a good cut, man, unless you know what you're doing. That fight, I think it was that fight. Yeah, you're right. They were trying everything from the kitchen sink, but they had a, a, a string that looked like dental floss that I'd never seen done before. What, what was that, uh, that Stitch? That, that, yeah, that they they put it in there, and I guess they closed it, and then the they it, it was the stupidest thing I'd ever seen. But what probably happened is back in Mexico, they're telling Berenstein, put this in his cut, so and so and so, it'll stop the bleeding. And it didn't work. You know, that's, that's what I'm saying. None of us have to be certified to be considered professionals to do what we do. Man, Stitch, and, at one point, was, he was just taking globs of it and he was just, just slapping it into the cut. Yeah. And I was like, that cut is so bad, man. Yeah. His eye, The eyelid might just fall off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, okay. Recently, was it like a couple months ago, George Cambosis versus Teofimo Lopez fought? Did you see that fight? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. What the hell was going on in, in, in Teofimo's corner? Where was Horrible. the. What, 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 was they, what were they doing, Stitch? No one had a hand swell. What, what were they doing, Stitch? Horrible, 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 horrible. For, and it's not fair for that fighter. His dad had told me. He says, you know, I love Miguel Diaz, but, you know, you can beat anything, but you can't beat time. And people ask me, when are you going to retire? When my mechanics start becoming a disadvantage. Well, that's what happened with Miguel Diaz. It took him like 20 seconds to get up in the ring. And and it's not like he works for cuts all the time. Uh, but his dad had told me before that, you know, we'd like to have you in the corner, but, you know, we're still indebted to Miguel Diaz. And so they base it on personality and not on, on efficiency. 
So that was the worst, worst quarter I'd ever seen in, in a long time. And, and it wasn't fair to Teofimo. It wasn't. I mean, they, they didn't have the they didn't have the end swell ready. Nope. They didn't have anything going on for him. Stitch. Yep. It was just. It was like almost like. So I didn't know Miguel Diaz was working his corner, but it Gee, almost man. looked until you told me just now. But yeah. <laughs> it, it, it it looked like they had left Teofimo out there. That they were just like, ah, oh, fuck it. You know, we don't care. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Now on the other side with Cambosas. Mike Basil's a, a, a up and coming super cut man. Him and I work together with his top rank fights. So he's followed a lot of my leads on, on, on how to properly do things. Okay. And working in these bubbles, we work with so many new fighters now and coaches that I'll go and I'll sit with every team that I'm going to work with that night. And I'll say, look, give me the right side. Give me his face. You guys handle who's going to get the mouthpiece, who's going to get the stool. You guys handle that aspect of it. Just give me that. So I sit down with him and I talk to him. And once again, I'll tell the fighter the same thing, you know, that uh, I told Tyson Fury, you know, I'll keep ice on you and so-and-so, don't worry. So I'll leave him with that impression. Well, Mike Basil did the same thing with Cambosos. He was a cut man for them. And he said, man, we did what you, what you do. We had a team meeting and we put ourselves in unison. Here's what you do, here's what you do, here's what you do. And that's the way it should be. Very simple. It's not the hardest thing to figure out. So did you ever work in uh, Gabe Rosado's corner? No, never did. I, uh, I was, he was the guy that cut up. He, okay, yeah, because he cuts pretty well, too. Yeah, yeah, he's another one. Yeah, so I'll tell you, when, when, uh, when, when the first day I started filming Creed was when Michael B. Jordan was fighting, or Adonis was fighting Gabe Rosado. Michael was fighting. So I'm working in the corner with Michael, and the first round, he sits down and he puts his, he puts his elbow on top of the ropes, and he hits me in the here and gives me a black eye, drops my glasses. And so I go home and I, or my hotel and I look, I got a black eye. So I, I said, next day, I said, Michael, come here, man. I said, look what you did to me. So he gave me a black eye. So that's a little history with uh, Gabe Rosado and Michael B. Jordan. Did they actually knock my, uh, Michael B. Jordan out on the set? He got dropped, man. Yeah. Because he hit the ground hard, Stitch. I, 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 that didn't yeah. look like it was acting, man. No, no, <laughs> he got dropped. And, it, yeah, it looked you know, like we, it, we, it looked like they set that. him up. It looked like they yeah. set him up. No, it was just that it was a little closer than because they were going through the movements, right? <laughs> yeah, he got dropped pretty good. But you know, Michael, I got to give him credit, man, because uh, I told him about the fifth. Every day I wrapped his hands, him and I, and it was like six week shoot. But I, uh, I told him about the fifth week as I'm wrapping the hand, how I'm so proud of him that I'm going to knight you as a fighter because everything <laughs> you've done, everything you've done, you've done it at the highest level to represent our sport wow. at the highest level. You awesome. know, so I did, you know, Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to knight you as a fighter. Wow. And, uh, so salute yeah, salute to Michael to B. Jordan. Salute to Michael B. Jordan, man. And, uh, you know, even on the, on the second shoot, uh, Creed two, I'm telling him how proud I am of him and, Ryan Coogler, Ryan wrote and directed uh, Creed, right? Also Black Panther. And uh, Tessa Thompson and, and Steve uh, was the, the director for the second one. And Michael looks at me like this, like I'm looking at you. And he says, Stitch, it's three years ago. He says, I'm directing Creed 3 and you're with me as long as you want. Mm. That's my man, you know. So uh, a couple behind the scenes with that is on the script, my name was Marcel. And brother, I don't know anybody named Marcel, right? I was about to Tom ask. I, 
who do I know yeah. named Marcel that's yeah, Latino? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I I got to figure out how to change that, you know. But it was cool because when it was time for Rocky to introduce us to Adonis, he says, "This is Stitch, the best cut man in Philadelphia." And man, at that point, I said, "I know I'm like that." Who's gonna tell Rocky? Nah, it's it's you know. So that worked out. Next day, I thanked him. But the Absolutely. second one he did, he ad lib. He said, "Oh, this is Stitch. He's so good as a cut man. He should he should have been a surgeon." I said, "Man, I like that one, you know." But they used the original one and just changed my name. Okay. You know? And then and then another. I'll give you one more on the on the creed. You remember when R- Rocky's patting him out and and he gets sick and he throws up and. And, and Adonis picks him up and he's walking with him. And well, in the scene, we had just left. And in Philadelphia, it was snowing and the gym's on the second floor. So we're on the steps going down outside, not knowing what's being filmed. And all of a sudden I hear Stitch. And my first thing is to go up and see what's up. And I think, ah, maybe it's part of the movie. It wasn't in the script, right? But the next day, as I'm wrapping Michael's hands, I said, Michael, look, I got to let you know, bro. I don't kiss people's ass or anything like that, but that scene to me was very, very powerful. And I'll tell you why, because you know that my job was to take care of you and the, you know, Adonis is to take care of Adonis. And you know that we had just left. And at that point, Rocky gets sick and he throws up. And your first impulse was to call for me. I said, that's realistic. Yeah. I can understand that. And it stayed that, that part stayed in the movie, man. You know, stick, wow. You know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. that okay, that makes sense. That makes sense then. All right. So All as right. you look at the movie again, you'll say, damn, you know. Yeah, and, and I'm looking for you to come back. How's that? When he when he when he had called you out in the in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that, like, no, because no, we had already left. Okay. In, okay. In the, in the movie, we had already left, and I yell out, hey Rock, you know, easy with him, he's still a pup, you know. And and we so we had already left the gym area, okay. and 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 shortly after that is is he gets sick, but you know being that we had just left, maybe he figured you know I have a chance to maybe get all the stitch before they're gone, you know. And, okay. But I thought that was a powerful moment. All right, all right, Stitch. Do you read any? Uh, I'm not reading any books. What what keeps you motivated? What keeps you motivated and inspired to keep going? Uh, this, you know, uh, my family. Everything I do is for my family. I'm. I'm a very simple guy, you know, uh, just, I'm just blessed knowing that I'm doing this. Uh, but yeah, you know, just kind of enjoying life, man. You know, my wife and I, she's going, I'm going to spend uh, a month in Atlanta filming Creed 3. And I'm taking my wife with me, you know, because, okay. you know, we've earned these opportunities now. And I've done a lot of traveling without her and, and all that. But now it's time for us to uh, enjoy ourselves and, and uh, I told him, I'm gonna, I'm, you will be in this movie somewhere, you know, <laughs> if you're just walking by, you yeah. know, doing an Alfred Hitchcock camera or something, but I will get you in there, you know. So, uh, and it's cool because these people, I've, I've been communicating with them uh, even up till today where <clears throat> they're asking about getting uh, guys to work one of the fights. And they asked if, you know, if I could get people in, in the gyms in Atlanta and all that. But I said, now these guys, I had an attorney call me. Uh, to represent two two of the coaches, and I, I don't need that, you know. And so I said, "Now nah, you know what? Get a couple guys that are extras that you'll see in the filming because the filming started today, um, and and pick them. And then when it's time for us to do our scenes, I'll show them what to do in the corner as a professional uh, trainer, 
So don't worry about that, because I did that for Creed 1 and Creed 2. So that's, I, I, like I told Ryan Coogler, I said, look, my Ryan, if I see something that's not right, I'm going to let you know. He goes, no, Stitch, please do, man, please do, you know. And uh, and, and he's from Oakland, I'm from Oakland, you know. And uh, But I'm so proud of these guys. They did a tremendous job. The yeah, new generation. Man. Yeah, man, yeah. I love it. I love to see it. I love to see how they're, how they're putting it, putting everything out there. They're doing a yeah. good job of it. Yeah. Stitch, did you ever? Did your kids ever want to get into 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 combat sports? Oh, they all trained with my. And they, they could all kick your ass you know, <laughs> in kickboxing, right? But no, they. Uh, it's 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 my daughter right now. Actually, Carla, my oldest one, she's uh, she's helping produce a docu a ten series ten part documentary for Netflix on the underbelly of MMA and boxing combat sports, and she's helping Bobby Razak. He's a great director producer that did a lot of the uh, ufc stuff so they've been doing interviewing a bunch of high-end people it's a 10-part series so she's it but they all trained at the gym they're all they're all qualified kickboxers but you know to do what i do you gotta be in the gyms and you gotta give 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 and and you know no they're not in it it's, as far as this just carla my daughter carla just you know in the film industry so okay okay all right and my next question for you is are there any fights you want to see happen going forward in 2022 or 2023? I mean, I see so many fights. It's not even about the fights anymore. It's about the characters, you know, so I could take it. I would have loved to have been in, uh, in, in England with Amir Khan, with Kel Brook. Really? Uh, that, you wanted to work yeah, that yeah. fight? Yeah, yeah, because well, I've worked with Amir Khan before, right? But I know it's a rivalry, and I like stuff like that, you know, with the rivalry. But Amir Khan, I would have done it for Amir Khan because, you know, how many times guys and i've been told when when they see stitch in the corner they kind of you know because they know it's legit and uh i had one guy you know a couple guys have said man when i saw you in the corner i think oh shit this is legit you know uh but now you know continue doing what we do okay okay i thought it would have been a couple fights out there you 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 nah. might have been itching for nah that's not at all been been too many seen too many and you know it's, they're awesome. I'm not big with the hypes and all that. It's just, you know, take care of the fighters. Okay. Switch Stitch, that's all I have for you, my good sir. Did I, I answer all your questions all right, man? Yes, sir, man. You did a very good job, Stitch. I, I really, <laughs> really, really appreciate it. This was this super mad love and super mad respect for you for doing this for me, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you taking no, the time. No, anytime. And yeah, I enjoy doing this because it's like barbershop talk. Yes, you it know, is. And 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 uh and that's the way you handle this interview. And you see how calm we were just barbershop talking between you and I. That's it. You that's know? all but, it is. But 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 your fans get to listen to see what goes on behind the scenes. Absolutely. And and, and there's nothing like uh I mean, I got tons and tons and tons of stories with so many fighters uh, behind the scenes. Next time we'll we'll get into we'll get into those. Next yeah, time we'll yeah but you did your you did your homework, you did a lot, you asked a lot of good questions. So you know, props to you, my man. I appreciate it, Stitch. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today again was Jacob Stitch Duran. I appreciate you, my good brother. We are done here. All right.